the book of Zechariah, and we're going to be in chapter 1 tonight, Zechariah chapter 1, and that last verse of the song we just sang, Break Thou the Bread of Life, it says, Show me the truth concealed within thy word, and in thy book revealed, I see the Lord. What good statements uh, to begin a Bible study with. In the book of Zechariah, and we're going to read verses 13 and 14 tonight. Uh, we were spent a little time on that last week, but we're going to spend a little more time on it tonight. Verse 13, And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zealousy. Jealousy, excuse me, jealousy. Well, this verse of scripture really helps us to understand the rest of the book, but it also helps us to understand the entire Bible, that the Bible is filled with, for the saints, for the church, it is filled with good words, verse 13, and comfortable words. To the church, the Bible is filled with good words and comfortable words. And we're drawn to a passage. We read this last week. We're going to read it again tonight, and we may read it again next week. It is found in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, that wonderful passage of Scripture that we find that the, the uh, pastor Isaiah was led to share with the people of God, with the sheep throughout the Old Testament as well as today through the New Testament in Isaiah chapter 40 and there are verses 1 and 2. We have those comforting words, the instructions to a pastor, the instructions to a minister, to the instructions to a missionary, the instructions to a Bible class teacher, the instructions that God has for his people is to speak comfortable words and good words to them and that is the gospel. I used to say that's nothing more than the gospel. I don't want to say that. It is the gospel. That is good words and comfortable words is the gospel. For we read here in Isaiah chapter 40, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. So the instructions come from the Almighty. They're coming from heaven to earth. They're coming from, from God to Isaiah, God to Jeremiah, God to Zechariah, God to any teacher, preacher, minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. Now tonight there was a, had a discussion with some friends I'm getting acquainted with. And I remember in religion we talked about the fall, but we never talked about ruined by the fall. We talked that people were bad, but we never talked about the total ruin by the fall. And then we, we have the preacher share with us redeemed by Christ. So we're in a terrible plight by nature and we didn't have to do a thing about it, but to hear the message that God redeemed his people from their sins or and on behalf of their sins. So here we have that. He said here, cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquities are pardoned. God is saying, I am reconciled to her. 
There has been an eternal reconciliation. God had a reconciliation for his people when he wrote those names down in the Lamb's book of life. He had reconciliation. He purposed to reconcile, and he has reconciled himself to these people. And now we have the Apostle Paul preaching, Be ye reconciled to God. He's done. Now he's going to, he's going to share us with us that reconciliation. That reconciliation only comes through Christ, only through the blood of Christ, only through the grace of God, but we are to be reconciled to him. He's already reconciled. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ was already purposed to go to the cross to take care of the reconciliation. On the promise of that, God said, I'm reconciled. And he shares that with us even in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, long time before the cross. And then he goes on to say, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double. Or we could put abundantly. Enough to answer God's design and enough to answer God's demand. He designed that accomplishment in his son Jesus Christ and he demanded of his son to pay the full price and we know he did how do we know that he's sitting at the right hand of the father that's how we know it he accomplished his purpose so reconciliation has been taken care of and sin has been taken care of and we have been uh, the ministry of reconciliation now and that is announcing God is not angry with the church and God is not angry with any of his lost sheep. And this message goes out to you and to you and to you and to you that the reconciliation has taken place. And in the new birth, we get a dose of what it is to be reconciled to God. And that is, I have the privilege and the ability to approach his throne of grace without fear. I can come before him and pray. I can come before him and worship. And I can come before him and not expect him to have any anger towards me whatsoever. It's what a pleasantry it is to have that kind of ability. So the gospel has been carried out in this full extent. As we read there and as we read here, he's going to share good words and comfortable words. Now, so often we find going through the Old Testament that there's a problem comes up and then the solution. The fall, the solution is she shall bear a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. That's the promise. That's what he said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 because the fulfillment of that found in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, the fulfillment of that is that very thing. Shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. In that passage in verse 14, it tells us in the book of Zechariah, it says, uh, so the angel of the Lord, so the angel that communed with me said unto me, cry thou saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts. I care about my church. That's what he's saying. Sometimes this word jealous and jealousy can be translated zealous. And when we look at it from a zealous standpoint, God has a lot on the line. He is going to carry out his word and fulfill his 
every promise and not one promise will go unfulfilled. So he is going to carry it out. He's promised that. He is going to fulfill his word. He's promised that. He is jealous or zealous. He has a jealousy or a zealousness for the church that is so protective. It's in a bubble, if you please. <laughs> There's a wall of fire about it. We're going to find that in the book of Zechariah. There's much more for us than there are for them. We find that over in the, in the uh, Kings. So what a wonderful statement it is to find here that God is careful, zealous, jealous over the church. He was jealous to illustrate this point over Israel and Jerusalem. And he showed them great things, but they did not have a heart to believe it. And many of those died in unbelief. Sometimes, uh, as well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Jeremiah. Back up to the book of Jeremiah, the gospel according to Jeremiah chapter 25. Now, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 25, we have something that is said here with regard to our study in the book of Ezra. The fulfillment of this is in Ezra. The fulfillment of God's promise to Israel is found in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. They will spend 70 years in Babylonian captivity. And if we look at that from a spiritual standpoint, Thomas Brooks once said, no man can understand spiritual mysteries by carnal reason. And that's the truth. You cannot understand spiritual things by carnal reason. That's why the, it, the Bible is a spiritual book and it must be given to spiritual people. And we can only worship God in spirit and in truth. And we can only do that by regeneration. We cannot do it outside of that. We cannot understand the scriptures outside of that spiritual blessing that God gives us that we call the new birth. So to understand the Bible from a spiritual standpoint, we must be given something by God. We must be given a spiritual understanding or at least the desire to see some spiritual things found in the word of God. If we're looking at it from a carnal standpoint, we'll just see facts. If we look at it from a spiritual context, we're going to be looking for Jesus Christ. That's the promise. All right. Here in the book of Jeremiah chapter 25, and I, I had a long list, a long reading here, but you can read chapter 25. I do want to go to verse 11, though. This is speaking so much of what is the result of the fall. This is looking out on the scheme of things, looking out on the world. It says, in this whole land shall be a desolation. That is, certainly speaks about the fall, speaks about us. It is, the whole land is a desolation. There's not part, as I mentioned, I heard a lot about the fall, but I never heard about the ruin by the fall and the complete inability on my part to get to God on my own, by my own self-righteousness, by my works. I, I just, this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, the, the blessing of that is there is a, an exact time when that will be over. I, I'm not looking at the, oh, look at how long that is. I'm looking at it. It's going to be over in time. 
And that's the way it is with God's people. We may be an utter desolation, and we may get along in years, but there is a time when God said 70 years are finished, and he is going to release us from that captivity of sin. He's going to release us from the captivity of this world. He's going to release us so that we can see him as the God of heaven, as the glorified God of all, the great God, the merciful God, the God that grants grace. That is going to be such a blessing when that happens. When it, when it happens to us in time, we can say, I've served my time. <laughs> What Adam did to my family has been reversed after 70 years. Well, another passage in the book of Jeremiah. Would you go with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29? Jeremiah chapter 29. Again, we're looking at the conclusion of it. It's a wonderful thing to see that there's an end to this desolation for all of God's people. The lost that are gods, there is an end to their desolation. Our family, our friends, when God has them marked out, there will be an end, even as the Apostle Paul said, when it please God. Well, that's what we read about here with regard to Israel, excuse me, Judah and Jerusalem in Babylonian captivity. Well, we know there's some reasons for that. We had to have that line go to, out to, to uh, Luke and Matthew. We had to have that Judah line go out to... It had to get there. <laughs> there was a promise that there would be a Messiah born, and it's going to happen. Well, it also illustrates the point, as we read here in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will, isn't that wonderful? I will visit you. God will visit his people. There is a time marked off by God that all of his lost sheep will be visited. Now, we've said this in the past. Some way God's going to get us so we can hear the gospel. That glorious good news that is announced in Isaiah chapter 40, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, that he will take away our religious uh, paraphernalia and he will grant to us Christ. He will strip us of our self-righteousness and clothe us with the righteousness of Christ. That's a wonderful thing that God stripped Adam and Eve of those coats of skins before he ever went and clothed them. He, we can't tolerate the two. That's works and grace, that's law and grace, however you want to put it. But they're, they're going to have one covering, and that covering was the appropriate covering, covering given to them by the Lord God Almighty. All right, notice here in Jeremiah 29 and verse 10, it says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to me, to, my, to this place. Now, from a, from a physical standpoint, God is going to bring Judah out of Babylon and bring them back to Jerusalem. From a spiritual standpoint, he's going to take us out of wherever he finds us in this world and bring him to himself. No other. 
I'm not going to give it over to someone else. He will do that very thing. Now, there's an illustration of this back in the book of 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. I was uh, uh, visiting with Brother Drew on the phone yesterday, I believe it was. He's going through this passage of Scripture, and he, he brought up something that we went through a long time ago about four lepers. Four lepers outside the wall. And they make a comment here that is so true, but they also are led by the Spirit of God to do something. So would you turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7, and in verse 3, and there were four leprous men. Now, that could have been said over that passage of Scripture we just read, where it says, the land was desolation. This is desolation, when you have leprosy. Now, when we get to the point that we have it spiritually, then God's shown us something. When we get to the point that we have spiritual leprosy, God has shown us something. Because we won't claim that on our own. God let us know that there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. They were not on the inside. They're kept on the outside because of the law. And this city has been put under siege for some time, and you and I are not able to comprehend. None of us have been in this place that they're in, in that siege. Now, it's terrible. We can say that. It's oppressive. We can say that. There were things going on that we just don't even want to talk about. We can say that. And that's just like where we are by nature. I was visiting with that young preacher and I said, there's one thing about the cities of refuge. And I, I've told you this before. You never have to ask anybody that just panted as they came through the gates why they're there. We don't have to, we don't have to compare notes about our sin. We know why we're at the city of refuge. We're sinners. Well, as it goes on here, it says in verse, Second uh, Kings chapter seven, verse three, and there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate, and they said one to another, "Why sit we here until we die?" Now, these guys, God has done a, some kind of work for them. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine in the city. And we shall die there. If we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So we're dead, dead, dead and dead. <laughs> so they went over there. Now, they rose up at twilight and go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they came to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said no one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Isn't that just the way religion is? Superstitious to the core. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. 
And when the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. This day is a day of good tidings. We have good words and comfortable words. We hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, come mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. And we know the rest of the story. They go back. Now the prophet Elisha has already said tomorrow we're going to be able to buy flour and all this for two cents. And yesterday it was worth $5,000. I'm just comparatively speaking. It's going to be worth two cents. And one of the king's aides says, "Um, no, no, no. It's not going to be that way. And Elisha said, you'll see it, but you won't get to partake of it. Remember what these four lepers did? They said, we have good news, comfortable words. Let's go back to the city and tell them. And they went back, and the city gates were open to them, and they spoke about what they had found, and the king sent out an ambassador. He came back and says, they're right. They're right. What are we but beggars telling other beggars where we found bread? At, the God, at God's place, that's where we found it. At his disposal, that's where we're going to find it. So these people, these four lepers, describe to us, oh, it, it just looks like we're the only ones. And then they realize we have good news. We have good news. We have good news. Let's go tell a whole bunch of other beggars where we found bread. And they went back and a whole bunch of other people. Now there were some naysayers there and they didn't get to enjoy it. But there were some that were so glad that they came with that news. Grace is given to us. It is nearly impossible to describe the place natural man is in by nature. Unless we are caused to view the great day of the cross. That's as close as we can come. The agony the Son of God endured to pay for our sin. And that's just an illustration of how bad the situation is how bad the leprosy is, how bad the desolation is, how bad we are by nature, how terrible the fall is. The ruin by the fall is exercised at the cross as the Son of God was given our sin debt. We realize it's beyond us. I can't, I can't, compre- I can't get my hands all the way around it. But we do come to this, grace is given us in Christ Jesus. Now we can't get around it. Grace is given us in Christ Jesus. Over in the book of Luke, let's look at some good words over here in the book of Luke chapter 7. Book of Luke chapter 7. 
Luke chapter 7, verse 19. Now, I ask myself, why did John ask this question? And why is it recorded in the Word of God? And I had to come to this conclusion. It is John asked this question, and it's recorded in the Word of God for you and for me. That's why it's there. Or if we didn't need it, we wouldn't have it. All right, now the question is, John asked this question, and I've heard all kinds of things said about John. I'm not going to try to impose myself on John's mind because this was written for me. This is written for us today. This question is written for us. We do not understand and we cannot comprehend the ways of God. I just, that's just, that's the way it is. We will never understand the ways of God. There's that song, we'll understand it by and by, better by and by or whatever. That's not a point that we should even be concerned about because we won't need to. It won't be a, it won't be a need to know then. And right now, we don't need to know. All we are called on is to trust. Trust God. All right. John chapter 7, verse 19. This question is posed. And John calling upon him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now, I'm not going to try to get into John's mind and figure out why he's saying that, but I know this. He said for me. The answer is for me. Or it wouldn't be here. All right, he goes on. And then the men were come unto him. They said, John Baptist hath sent us unto the ass, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave them sight. Now here's the answer. Jesus answering and said unto them, In our darkest moment, here's the answer. Here's good news. Here is the blessing from Almighty God. This is the blessing for John. The question comes up for us, and the message was taken back to John, just as is it given to us today. This is, go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How, good news, comfortable words, good words and comfortable words. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. There's the answer. And that's for my generation. That's for me today. When I look and see, I'm contemplating why all of the things we go through. I can hear Jesus say now, just look at the word and see what I've done in the past. I'm doing it now and I will do it until the end. Good words and comfortable. Every one of those lepers he healed, he didn't heal them all, but he healed a bunch of them. 
those he raised from the dead. He didn't raise everybody from the dead, but he raised some from the dead. He said, look at what is happening here. This, I am God, and beside me there is none else. Beside me there is no other God. Nobody else is doing this but me. Jesus said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that, and goes on and on and on. Hallelujah. Good words and comfortable words. In the greatest of desperate situations in John's life, what was the message that God gave to him? I am almighty. I'm the everlasting God. I'm the everlasting king. I am, I am that I am. And you know what? I believe John was comforted, just like every one of God's people are comforted when they realize this is falling out for the furtherance of the gospel. Good news. Comfortable words. Now, good words and comfortable. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9 for, for closing, if you would, please. Romans chapter 9. Oh, this passage of scripture has been so maligned, but let's look at the comfortable words, the good words and comfortable words. Romans chapter 9, verse 13. Would you look at that with me? Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. It says, as it is written. Now, this isn't the first time. We went to Malachi and we found the time that it was found in the Old Testament, but we find the whole experience over there in the book of Genesis. The whole thing it plays out for us to watch, to see, and see the comforting words. Now, what is really a blessing to me and a comfortable word to me in this passage of Scripture is, Have I loved? Jacob, have I loved? Now, that's God speaking. Jacob, have I loved? Scoundrel. Jacob, have I loved? And that means if he can love Jacob, he can love other Jacobs just like him. Jacob have I loved. I'm not going to go to the other part because that doesn't apply to me. Jacob have I loved. In verse 15 of that same passage of scripture, I will have mercy. That's a comfortable word. That's a good word. Romans chapter 9 and verse 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy. What a characteristic and attribute to discover. What a characteristic and attribute for the church to discover about the Savior. That not only does he love his people, but he has mercy. I will have mercy. And in chapter 9 and verse 16, it says there, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. Good words. Good. They're just not room enough for us to get anything that God would be attracted by, but he will show mercy. And then in verse 21 of that same, what a wonderful thought is found here in verse 21 it says hath not the potter power now he can write anything after that he wants hath not the potter 
What's that say? Verse 21. Hath not the potter power? Now he goes on to write, and he can write anything. He has power over all circumstances. He has power over the weather. He has power over all disease. He has power. But in that passage of scripture, he says, potter hath power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. The point I want to make is good news and comfortable words is he has power. He has power to fulfill every one of his promises. He has power given unto him, Jesus Christ, in heaven and earth. All power is given unto him in heaven and on earth. So he has power. He has mercy and he has love. Good words, comfortable words. And that's what Zechariah was shown over there in the book of Zechariah chapter 1. And then it goes on to conclude in chapter uh, 1 and verse 14. I am zealous, jealous over Israel. I'm zealous over Jerusalem. I'm carefully marking them out, (laughs) taking care of them in such a way that every one of them will be given the ears to hear the gospel and the eyes to see Christ wherever we go in the scriptures.